0: This episode is brought to you by The Athlete's Foot. Hey guys, Chloe here, founder of The Female Athlete Project. This week, we are not doing an episode of The Wrap. We're having a nice long weekend, but I wanted to share with you something a little bit special. I recently had a book launch event for the book that I recently wrote called Girls Don't Play Sport where Bez, my co-host of The Wrap and logistics operational amazing person at the Female Athlete Project, actually got up in front of many close family and friends at the book launch and interviewed me a little bit about my life, my story, my sporting journey, a bit about why I started the Female Athlete Project and what got me to this place of writing this book. Um, So I wanted to share that with you guys for this week. Uh, in place of our normal episode of The Wrap. I wanted to also share the really exciting news that our new kids book is on shelves. It's called The A to Z of Who I Could Be. The reason that we put this book together, I had an incredible team around me to bring this book, book together. It was, It's just been an amazing process. But I look back to when I was a little kid and I'd watch Olympians and Paralympians on the telly and I would see them compete and perform and I'd want to find out more about their lives, but I could never find information about these athletes. So we've pulled together this book of 26 incredible athletes and every little kid that you know should have a copy of this book and adult because it's a bloody cool book to have. So you can find it in any good bookstore and you can also shop it via the femaleathleteproject.com. I'll make sure the link is in the show notes. And finally, we're having a book launch for the kids' book this Sunday, the 8th of October, 10 a.m. at Hoops Capital in Moore Park in Sydney. Again, I'll put the link in the show notes if you want to RSVP and get some more info. We would absolutely love to have you there to meet some of the athletes featured in the kids' book. I hope you enjoy this chat. <laughs>
1: So thank you, Tessa. Thank you, obviously, Alan and Unwin for um, all your support. We're just going to do a quick little Q&A, a few questions. We're flipping the script here. I'm asking the questions. You normally ask the questions. I don't like it. Actually, you can see the fear in her eyes. I have maybe shared some of the questions with her, so she's definitely cheated. So I don't think that she's got these amazing answers off the top of her head.
0: The way that Bez and my relationship work is that she sends me lots of spreadsheets and sometimes I actually don't read them. So I haven't read the question. Sorry. I'm shocked.
1: You know what? I'll never stop writing spreadsheets. So it's fine. Great. Great. Let's start. Um, I guess just a very general opener. So why sport, friend, as a kid? As a kid, what attracted you to sport?
0: Uh, I think that one goes back to family mum and dad and my two brothers are in the room and have been very helpful I don't know if anyone noticed Michael on the book selling he was um doing a very excellent job over in that corner um mum and dad were both avid sports people and and from the moment we were born as kids it was just kind of part of our our family and our our culture in in our home um I just have the most fond memories being out in the backyard with the two boys. Sometimes most of the time Bailey was playing Xbox and it was just Michael, <laughs> and, I, Michael and I going at it um, pretty much any sport we could find. And, and I think Michael and I are probably two of the most competitive people you can meet. And I remember when I was about five years old and I first learned a swear word from the kids on the bus at school and Michael changed the rules at the last minute and I chased him around the backyard with a cricket bat calling him an effing idiot. <laughs> Because he always tried to win. But I think, yeah, the family was a really big part of that. Yeah, nice.
1: Um, And now also as an adult, why still sport? Question mark adult. Was that that what that laugh was about? (laughs) Adult question mark. (laughs)
0: Um, I think sport is a really powerful thing. Um, Sport, like we've seen with the World Cup, it was just like it blew my mind. Tessa touched on it, but it blew my mind the way that people who don't necessarily love sports sport and don't necessarily watch sport was so hooked on it. I think it's like nothing else in its ability to like bring people so much joy and also so much heartache all in one and people get to go along for that journey. And I think the second element to that, which if I'd read the questions, I'd know where we were going, but I think the a big part of my journey has been the work I did with our watch um, the organization that do a lot of work in the domestic violence space. And when I went, um, uh, through a training course with them, they talked about the power of sport, particularly in Australian culture, because it invades our lounge rooms. When we watch it on a Friday or Saturday night, we take people take their kids down to the park to play sport. I talked about me and my brothers playing sport in the backyard. It's such a huge part of our culture that athletes through their profiles and through what the way they carry themselves on the field or court or whatever they're doing, they actually have the ability to change people's attitudes. and, And I believe female athletes and and gender diverse athletes have the ability to change people's perceptions about where women in, in society belong. Yeah, great. <laughs> Pause for clapping. Um,
1: okay, so next, why a book? Why,
0: why and how? Um... I didn't plan on writing a book. It wasn't until Tessa slid into my DMs. And I originally thought that she wanted me to write a memoir. And I flat out refused. I talked to pitch my manager. And I was like, I do not want to write an autobiography as someone still in their sporting career. I don't know who really wants to read about that. But me, not all athletes, just my story. (laughs) She then said to me, I've been listening to TFAP, I've been following TFAP, I think you're the perfect person at the perfect time to write about women's sport. And it kind of felt like this, this journey and this conversation that happened pretty quickly and then all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'm writing a book. Um, it was it was quite daunting and quite challenging. And I think throughout the process, like I, I found it really cathartic sharing some of my own stories and stories that I haven't necessarily Talked about very publicly of, of some things that have happened throughout my own sporting career. Um, I had the honour of sharing other athletes' stories, having other athletes' voices contribute to the book. A couple of who are in the room today, Elia, one of my dearest friends, Ellie Cole over there. Um, and I think she skipped ahead questions here because she
1: didn't do the research. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, what took me a while was to find my voice and I had a lot of conversations with Tessa about this as well. Like I kind of, it was like the biggest form of imposter syndrome I've ever felt. I was kind of like, why am I the person that gets to speak on all of these issues that impact women in sports so differently? Um, but I think that's why I loved putting so much research and data into it. Cause every argument that I made and every conversation I started with a story, I wanted to have research and evidence to kind of back it up to go against a lot of those trolls on social media too, I think.
1: You dedicated girls don't play sport to your granny, Christine. What did granny mean to you? Oh, <laughs> didn't know this would happen so early.
0: <laughs> oh, I didn't know it was coming. Um, yeah, we, um, oh gosh, that's a bit croaky, isn't it? We lost granny um, a few months ago and, She just was, she was, she was the matriarch of our family. She was a widower for decades and she just led our family from the front. And uh, we all had, all the cousins and and her children as well, had the most special relationship with her. And one of the things I loved most about my sporting career, whether I was playing here or overseas for Sevens, she'd um, often sit with um, mom and the family and auntie Sue and the Dawson family. And she'd get out her journal and her notepad and she'd write columns. So like if it was like Australia v. Spain, there would be the two columns and it would be like tried to Elia Green, five points converted by <laughs> Chloe Dalton, two points. And she'd keep Tally of the scores throughout. And I'd get I then finish this game, be on the other side of the world, sometimes like on different time zones. And, and you'd feel quite isolated. I think like there's there's a lot of glory that comes with being an athlete. And it's this lovely life. So when you get to travel overseas, but in parts, it also can be really isolating. So it was such a special thing to see all of my beautiful family watching, but these pictures of granny watching, sitting with her notepad scribbling along the way it was really special. Um, and she also just loved words. I think the journaling kind of points that she loved words. Oh, God. And I would have loved more than anything for her to see this book, but that's why I wanted to dedicate it to her because she was such a special woman. <laughs> questions.
1: so in girls don't play sport you write about many barriers that face so many girls and women in the sporting ecosystem things like uniforms that have a neg- negative influence on participation disparity in opportunities provided to females and obviously lack of representation in all sporting environments did you experience barriers like that as a kid or and still and you know how how did that make you feel
0: Yeah, I think there's so many barriers and I've got so many um, athletes that I currently play with and have played with in the past that would have experienced similar things. And I think the uniforms piece, I found a really interesting one because and I talk about in the book, the dropout rate for girls. So um, 50 percent of young girls drop out of sport by the age of 17, which is just like to me, like pretty mind blowing. And I think uniforms is such a big factor. And there's there's heaps of research being done by Victoria uh, University in that space. Around the fact like you think about like a, a grown woman or a young girl or whoever it is coming into a club at community level a lot of the time and they're wearing kind of like these hand-me-down uniforms. And and Bez, you actually contributed for that part as well about your experience with the rats. Do you want to touch on that quickly? You can have a quick quick little reflection. <laughs> I need a break.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think um obviously if you read the book, but there was an element of a hierarchy in our in our rugby club where First grade got the new jerseys and they filtered down through all the grades. And we would get fourth grade's jerseys five years later. And I'm like, there you go, have at it. And um, the first grand final we ever won, we lost six in a row. We finally won one in 2003. I know most of you weren't born, but um, I was playing rugby and we got to wear first grade's jerseys. And at the time, I thought that was a massive honour. Looking back, they were massive and didn't fit. And it's amazing in that. Space of 20 years, the difference in how I would view that honour.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think the, the uniforms piece is just one of the barriers. I think another one that always comes to mind is this idea of always having to prove that what you do is worthy of, of being respected and being valued, which is, I think, what the Matildas have done such an incredible job of, of shifting perceptions in that space.
1: My wife wrote a book review. She's very quiet, but... She wrote a book review after Devouring Girls Don't Play Sport and without her permission, I'd just like to share a little bit, a small excerpt. (laughs) Sorry, babe. Um, She said, I found this book to be unexpectedly educational because she thinks she knows everything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in so much trouble. I actually learned things, a situation that I will fully admit to being surprised at. I thought I knew everything there was to know about supporting the need to invest in women's sport. But I was wrong. Knowing intrinsically that investing in women's sport is the right thing did not necessarily equip me to facilitate discussions with others who are not in agreement. Chloe has provided the means with which to succinctly and effortlessly debate. Great review, babe. Um, So what did you learn when you were, what was one of the favourite things that you learnt when you were doing the research for the book?
0: Yeah, um, and firstly, a big thank you to Cookie for that review, even though it just got shared without your permission. Um, Cookie's very, she'll say it like it is, so I think Bez will mostly tell me whatever I do is amazing, which is lovely. She's one of the most incredible friends and she's a huge supporter, but when I was getting it from Cookie, I was nervous because I knew if the book sucked, she would tell me the book sucked. <laughs> so it was cool to get a review like that. Um, Yeah, there was a lot. I should probably read the book again to kind of answer that question. But um, (laughs) I'm kind of drawing a blank. There's a lot of research in there, and I think the people who have read it said it was kind of heavy at times with stats and data. And I think, to Cookie's point, I I wasn't trying to convince the haters and the trolls because I'm never going to win them over. I knew there was people that were already on board um, and were huge advocates or involved in women's sport. and so I wanted to empower them with that information for the discussions that they're having on, on a day-to-day basis with whoever that is. And then for the people who are a little bit on the fence, I wanted to try and give a really, like, broad understanding of, of some of these issues to maybe just convince them a little bit to tip our way.
1: Yeah, I think you definitely succeeded there, friend. All right, seven-year-old Chloe watched Kathy Freeman win gold, and it's safe to say it probably changed your life. If you could, we're getting out the time machine here, we're in the DeLorean. Uh, if you could step into the DeLorean and go back and give seven-year-old Chloe three pieces of advice, what would they be?
0: Um, I think one of my favourite things I've learned throughout my career, I kind, of, I kind of struggled a little bit with this idea of changing sport because I idolised like, your Lauren Jacksons and your Anna Mears as a kid. And so to me, they were like the best of the best because they were all about like, success over a really long period of time. But what I learned um, and my basketball friends who are here will know, like I, I sat on the bench when I got to the Flames and the WNBL and I was there for a couple of years and, and I was trying really hard, but I just wasn't good enough to kind of crack it. And so I think for me, like I really wanted to put myself out there and, and try something new, which was scary. But I think the biggest thing I've learned between the three sports is just to keep and it for a little kid, like just do it if you love doing it and if you don't, love it it's okay to change like it's not you don't always have to put yourself in this funnel of, of, of always going towards one direction um I think second piece the the people that you meet through sport will stay in your life forever like it's just so special to have people from all different aspects of my life in this room from like brand new friendships to all the way back to some of my childhood sport years it's it's just really cool to have everyone here um and thirdly Winning an Olympic gold medal is pretty cool too. (laughs) Word. This episode is brought to you by The Athlete's Foot, proudly supporting women in sport since 1976. Start every game on the right foot with the right fit. Get fitted in store today or online at theathletesfoot.com for netball, football, running and recovery. Now that's fit.
1: So we're still in the time machine. We're going to jump in and travel forward, let's say, 10 years, and we're going to chat to little Chloe Jr., who will be about seven or eight, give or take. What do you hope the sporting world looks for her? Looks I'm not, like I'm not her? pregnant, just
0: by the way. Um, <laughs> Big news, people. <laughs> um, I I hope, I can't wait for, like, 17-, 18-year-olds to come into the AFLW and never have to worry about going to work. So They can come into the club. They can get paid enough, not have to worry about making ma- making ends meet and paying rent and doing all those things. I look forward to the day where they don't even know the struggles of what it's like to have to plan your life from your teenage years. i was I was chatting to some of the together crew the other day about almost having to plan your life from your teenage years, wanting to be a professional female athlete, not actually knowing if that's a possibility to do that to earn enough from that. So I think that's the biggest thing that I'd love to see change. it's, it's there's it's so complex, and there's so many elements of it, but Yeah, just the full-time piece of just being able to focus on that.
1: Nice. Um, So you ask this question of people a lot of times and they kind of stumble over it. And if you had have read the notes, you would be ready for it. But
0: please share with us, what is your favourite failure? I should have known this one was coming. Uh, I think, I I don't know if I classify it as a failure, but I think it is in a way. um, Four weeks out from Tokyo after going through all the COVID lockdowns, I had back surgery in 2020, I think it was, um, and the Olympics had been postponed. So I had a chance to kind of do all my rehab. So had to kind of get my head through that process of learning how to tackle again after back surgery, which was incredibly daunting um, and did all of that rehab. And then we traveled up to Townsville. Um, we got out of Sydney because it was a hot spot and, and needed to get out quite quickly. And we were playing against New Zealand Australia and Fiji and, and a teammate and I came from opposite directions and the top of her head hit, hit my cheekbone and I fractured my cheek in about four places and had to have surgery and, and so I'd miss out on Tokyo and I think I actually yeah I don't really talk about the Tokyo one a lot I think I kind of in my mind almost tried to skip over it so I didn't have to process the emotion of it because it was just the most bizarre thing during lockdown I felt like I'd, I'd really earned my place back in that team and is just so cruel that things can be taken away from you so quickly like that but the most amazing thing coming back into the lockdown um, as a team we decided to invest a huge amount of effort and energy into highlighting the female athletes that were competing in Tokyo in the Olympics and the Paralympics and, and Mills was a big part of that as well and we did a huge amount on social media and and saw a massive amount of growth there and it was just this like Really cool moment because it was so hard for me to get my head around the fact that as an athlete I didn't get to go and compete, but it was so cool to kind of realise that we had this platform to to spotlight and, and shine a light on athletes who were over there who wouldn't necessarily get the attention.
1: So we've all just lived through, let's be honest, an amazing month of women's sport in Australia and New Zealand. What were your favourite moments from the World Cup?
0: Yeah, that's um. I said
1: moments because there were so many. So
0: many moments. Um, that penalty shootout. (laughs) It can't not be your favourite moment. Um, it was insane. Hannah from cheek is a lifelong Matildas fan. After that, (laughs) um, and yeah, just going to watch. um, We the I think the heartbreak of of the semi final was was rough. Um, but just, like, the level of gratitude I think that people had for what the Matildas had done I think was really, really cool and chatting to a couple of people that I was sitting with, that Riley and I were sitting with, about you don't always get your fairy tale and I think it was probably kind of cool for the little kids watching as well. Like, you don't always have to win the World Cup to become a hero. You can still create change without necessarily being a winner.
1: Yeah, nice. And if So, obviously, the tillies have... Bl- left already an amazing legacy that I think will just grow. Um, if you could write the legacy wish list, Sandra, what would be on that? What are we, what are we wanting For out of this? the Tillies? Yeah, just, well, just women's sport in general, like the legacy they've left. What do you want to see in the next couple of years?
0: I think the, I think the biggest one would be um, carrying over that change perception and the acceptance and the respect of the athletes just as athletes. I think that's the biggest thing. Like there was this real, like we touched on, there was this real shift in attitudes, but there's so many other sports that are still fighting this uphill battle every single day to to prove that they are good athletes just because they're not playing men's sports. So I think that's the biggest thing I'd love to see carry over from what the Matildas have done.
1: Yeah, nice. And so in that book you did, as you've touched on before, you passed the pen to some incredibly inspiring athletes to share their stories. Kirby Bentley, Ellie Cole, Elia Green, Darcy Vesio, and Sharni Williams. And they all beautifully gave their take on their experience in the sporting world. How important is it for young athletes and these athletes that have watched the Matildas now to see and learn about these diverse, amazing individuals?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's so, so important. Um, and I loved the discussion around Sam Kerr kind of being the headline for this huge global event um, as a woman of colour and a gay woman to kind of just be spotlighted and loved by an entire nation was just a really cool thing for these little kids to see. Um, and I think it was such a huge honour to have, um, have these voices included in the book. I think it's it's a really vulnerable thing for, for these athletes and these people to share their stories. Um, but I'm so thankful for the relationships that I've built with them through sport and and through all of these incredible things that we get to do that I wanted them to feel safe to kind of share their stories and for people to learn more about what their experience is like. Because for me as a white, able-bodied athlete, my experience and the access that I have been given to sport is very different to a lot of different athletes. So I think that was really important to highlight that too.
1: Yeah, great. Um, So back on TFAP, obviously, as Tessa touched on, created to shine a light on what is a chronically under funded under promoted area of the world it's we've experienced some pretty amazing growth in the last three years it's, well not even three years yet very close to three years since it started and I just wanted to point some of those things out it's we now have a social media presence that includes over a hundred thousand followers on Instagram alone everyone cool. no, A merchandise line that has sold over 6,200 pieces of merch. I've packed every single one of them.
0: She actually has. And while we're doing that, Bez does a huge amount behind the scenes and Cookie stores it all in their house. Thank you, Cookie.
1: Uh, A podcast library of 157 amazing episodes, every single one of them highlighting female sport. Um, we made we've made over thirty thousand dollars in donations to women's sports-focused foundations and charities. We've raised and and obviously the one you touched on before we raised over hundred thousand dollars during the Equal campaign. Or you kind of touched on the Olympics, but this was part of the Paralympics. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie, Ellie actually told me at the bar. Can you please tell Chloe I love her. <laughs> love you. Uh, so yeah, we. $100,000 during the Equal campaign, which was successful in highlighting the disparity between prize money for Paralympic medal winners and Olympic medal winners, and that campaign obviously led to Ellie being really happy. Um, <laughs> <and that laughs> so after all of that amazingness, I guess the question is, what is next for TFAP? Uh,
0: world domination. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's been such a cool journey and... Um, I've, I've kind of pointed out a few different people that have been a part of that journey. The, my brothers have been a part of it from the beginning. Mills um, contributed a huge amount. Um, Bay doing all the podcast editing. Riley wakes up very early on a Monday morning to do the newsletter. After Bez does the research, very hungover on a Sunday night, very consistently. Um, George I just here even for the last minute too. <laughs> Georgia, who's here as well, um, contributes to some of the research that we put out on socials because we've seen a massive amount of um, growth, like when we when we put that data up on socials because it's shareable and people kind of want to create discussions about it. I'm getting to Jordan. Jordan, um, who's an incredible graphic designer, and Bailey kind of volunteered their time during the FIFA Women's World Cup to do a huge amount of content on our channels. Um, so if you didn't see enough netball World Cup content, it was because we had people who specifically were like, we're doing the FIFA Women's World Cup, we're jumping on board. So Bay and Jordan did a huge amount of work pulling that together. Um, Stinger, Dom Toy, who plays for the Aussie Sevens, is over in Europe. Horrible. For a training camp, so you couldn't be here, but she does a huge amount of work on the socials as well. I'm trying to look around and see if I've missed anyone while I'm doing it. Yes! Yes! yes. Don't write me a mean email, because my mum will read it. <laughs> 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 um Mum is, like, the best. She Mum brings so much peace and calm to my very crazy life, um, and she helps me sort out emails and make sure I don't forget to reply to people. Um, and I'm so thankful for all you do, Mum, as well, with that. And, um, and, and Dad, too. Dad is, like, finger on the pulse. Text me and, da- uh, me and Bez as soon as there's any form of article, or any women's sports news out there as well. It's amazing.
1: It does our job for us, let's be real. <laughs> and he makes a mad brownie. They were delicious, Bradley. They were delicious. And I guess just just to wrap it up, you've you've kind of thanked everyone, but is there anyone else that you'd like to thank in regards to the book and all of that awesome stuff that's happened?
0: Yeah, firstly, massive thanks again to Tessa for giving me this opportunity. I don't think it was something that I ever thought would be possible. And I think to all of the team at TFAP as well, it's like I get to be the face of it, Um, but there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes that has elevated this platform to a point where it actually allows me to have opportunities like that, which is really, really special. Um, And to – oh, now I'm going to cry again. To Riley, my partner, the last month in particular – she's hiding. The last month (laughs) in particular has been crazy busy, um, and at times I'm not the most present person because there's so many things going on, but you're so consistent in your love and your support and the way that you just always have – yeah, you just – you just have the most kind heart, and I'm so thankful that I get to do life with you. Well
1: done. That
0: was Thank you, everyone. Free signatures over in the corner tonight only. At thirty-four ninety-nine. Thanks, guys. Enjoy. Thank you. <laughs> that
1: was we we'll do it,